Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 67 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And this is Aaron, and Brian and I are, are we're crossing the streams tonight. We're doing a bit of a divide and conquer. He is simultaneously recording episode 68 right now. Um, we're trying something a little new. We're trying to add some more uh, content to the system, so please let us know what you think. Um... So I was lucky enough to attend the Amazon AWS reInvent conference last week, and something that was really nice from the conference, we had a great problem. We had more guests than we had time, and so uh, some things are spilling over to this week, but this actually, instead of doing some mini-casts like, like we did last, last week, we're actually doing a full cast for this. There's some really cool announcements that came out of um, the, the Amazon conference, and so we have some great guests here to talk about it tonight, and so... This week, um, good friend of both Brian and I for a long time, but has never made an appearance on the show. So we have Vaughn Stewart from NetApp. Vaughn, why don't you say hey and give a quick background? Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a shame that we can't have Brian as well. Uh, I miss that guy. But uh, hey, thanks for having me on, and I'm uh, very excited to be here. Absolutely. And next up, we have Mark Beaupre, um, also with NetApp. So go ahead, Mark. Hi there, Aaron. I'm just uh, glad to be here with you. Awesome, awesome. And lastly, we have Luis Benavides. Um, and Luis has, uh, he is not with NetApp. He is actually with a cloud professional services company. He is CEO of that company and is Day One Solutions. And they're actually a launch partner of, of something, one of our main topics this evening. So, Luis, welcome. Thank you very much, Aaron. And uh, you can tell Brian that we don't miss him. Just <laughs> there you go. Just kidding, Brian. Yeah, and by the way, just for, just for the listeners out there, Luis knows Brian as well. Um, <laughs> so, so first of all, before we we went into some of the other uh, talks about um, NetApp and, and AWS solutions specifically, um, Luis and I both were at the conference last week, and just wanted to start off with with some general impressions. Um, one of the biggest things that that me personally I saw was. Um, the number of enterprise vendors there. Um, my my company, uh, Citrix, was a top level sponsor and, and had some uh, announcements at the, at the show. SAP had some major announcements around the show, and, and of course, uh, NetApp had some uh, really interesting announcements that drew a lot of int- attention. And so, one of the biggest things I saw was on the vendor side. Um, an adoption of some of these quote unquote enterprise vendors, um, as well as some enterprise customers. I don't necessarily want to name any names, but, but having some drinks with some very large enterprise customers that, that really had some unique use cases that I had never thought of before. And quite frankly, just never would have been possible, possible or achieved a great level of cost savings or some of these other great stories that you always hear about with, with cloud computing these days. And so it was really interesting to me how real world the AWS conference was. And it was very well attended. Now, Luis, what was the total attendance? Was it 5,000, 6,000, somewhere in there? Uh, I think the official number was around 5,700, but they had a lot of folks that had come in late, and they surpassed 6,000. Wow. And and, and Luis, what did you see? Because you met with a lot of customers and and had a lot of meetings. So so tell me about your week last week. 
Yeah, we did. Um, I, mean, I think for us, we were one of the few cloud consulting type companies that were there. And, uh, you know, my background working at NetApp and working at Amazon, uh, we worked a lot with the, uh, I worked a lot with the ISV ecosystem and, and folks on my team. And, and that's kind of the, the people we've brought together. So uh, a lot of catching up, a lot of strategic uh, conversations. Uh, and then as far as end customers go, like you said, a lot of those major ISVs who we partner with, uh, had solution announcements and uh, brought their customers there. And, you know, we were just uh, involved with a lot of those conversations. I, I think one of the things I, I noticed uh, just quickly at, at AWS, and, and kind of to your point, that uh, it's pretty massive. The ISV ecosystem out there is pretty huge. And you have those folks that are the, the startups, and then you have the, the other uh, larger kind of enterprise vendors that are, you know, looking, looking at a, a way to partner with Amazon. Let's talk a little bit more about this specific solution here. Really, really interesting solution. And actually, um, I don't know if you guys saw or not, and, and I'll put a link to some of these uh, um, links that I'm talking about in the show notes. But actually today, um, was it today or very recently, um, CRN for the year um, and AWS storage specifically and all the announcements around it was actually listed as as the number one storage story for 2012 and specifically the this solution the NetApp private storage for Amazon web services was mentioned in with all of the announcements for the year and so so Vaughn I'll ask you first to tell us a little bit about this because you know what what is a, a you know a quote unquote enterprise storage vendor doing playing with Amazon web services yes that's actually a very good question um i think suffice to 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 say the the impetus for NetApp and Amazon coming together was really driven out of customer demands. You know, the 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 ever evolving landscape of of uh, cloud computing um, is really advancing a number of means where, uh, in terms of how services are delivered and data centers are are operated. And to be frank, you know, we have a large number of customers that were looking to drive uh, more agility uh, into their cloud solutions, wanting to branch from their private cloud into a, a more type of hybrid infrastructure that carried over a number of their enterprise um, data management functionalities into the AWS space. And so NetApp private storage for, for AWS really results in customers being able to uh, leverage the means in which they access their data sets in a more dynamic fashion, one that is um, uh, off-premise and, and gives them a lot of flexibility. So, you know, this solution, uh, if I were to, to, to back up and maybe maybe refine my statement a bit, it was really about, you know, customers seeking more cost-effective and flexible solutions that preserved their enterprise storage and data management capabilities that they're used to with, with NetApp. You know, and those, those capabilities are in our you know, snapshots and cloning and replication models that, you know, to, to summarize those who aren't familiar, you know, NetApp has a means of being able to do a single replication stream and, and that copy of data that is stored on the remote disk can then be leveraged in multiple different uses without making full copies of it. And so that drives a lot of time out of any type of provisioning or, or data hydration process. So test and development, business analytics, disaster recovery, right? all these functions basically can be spun out of a single copy. And so the the Amazon Web Services allows customers to not have to purchase a compute or virtualization infrastructure to be able to capitalize on their copy of data that that's you know stored in a Amazon Direct Connect uh, facility. 
Awesome. And and that that's actually a perfect lead into so so Mark, you you at, at NetApp, you really helped on some of kind of the technical architecture and some of the documentation behind all of this. And so so tell us a little bit about the technical details behind this, um, because you know, some a lot of people out there are probably scratching their head, going, "Well, how does that work?" And so, tell us that you know it, it involves a, an Amazon Direct Connect facility, um, and and Amazon Direct Connect. And so, tell us a little bit about the architecture and the details behind it. Sure, uh, you know, Vaughn touched upon it uh, at a high level, but essentially, what we're taking advantage of it, um, we have. Uh, uh, NetApp FAS uh, storage uh, controller or a, a vFiler uh, that's backed by uh, another, you know, if you have some other storage uh, that's in, in the, uh, in, in the direct, direct Connect uh, facility. Um, and that, uh, that storage is, is basically connected to EC2 AMI uh, virtual machine instances that um, are connected via the Amazon Direct Connect, and what we can do then is, if you know, let's say it's a it's a if it's a Windows um, VM, let's say that you can then connect that VM to the NetApp storage via iSCSI. Um, then you can take advantage of block uh, block uh, pro, you know the iSCSI block protocols expose you know certain workloads that need block to. Uh, iSCSI lens on the NetApp, um, be able to take advantage of the, uh, the NetApp snapshots uh, and data management store, uh, you know, software that, that we provide and gives our customers that flexibility. So that, that's basically it at a very high level. Very, very cool. And so and as an ex-NetApp you know, architect kind of person, can you do the NetApp VC, uh, VSA or does it have to be physical file or hardware? Um, basically, if, if you can run SnapMirror, you can use um, the you know any any. It, basically, if if, if if you can do NetApp, you know anything, then you can use that. So VSA, VSA supports SnapMirror and SnapVault. Gotcha. Um, so yes. Okay. Okay. And and go ahead. Go ahead, Luis. So, so I, I was going to. Uh, oh, sorry, Vaughn. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is Vaughn. Yeah. So I was going to jump in here, but I. I uh, yeah. I think what's important to to really call out in the the AWS design is that the explosion of cloud computing, uh, whether it's hypervisors or virtual machines or the applications, whether traditional applications or next-gen applications, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus, or, or I would even state the majority of the focus tends to be at that level. Technologies like network and storage tend to get viewed as as infrastructure and, and tend to have less light shed on them. The NetApp private storage for, for AWS really highlights that the need for, com- for computing and for applications is really the means in which data is exchanged. And data is the lifeblood of a company, whether it's holding on to its uh, customer records, whether it's, it's its intellectual property, right? whether it's its com- uh, you know, historical you know, uh, records needs, etc., Customers really value data, and uh, and AWS, particularly the, the this the Net Private Storage solution for AWS, I should say, really, I think, reinforces the the value which an enterprise looks at its data, and yet wants to shift into a more agile infrastructure. And so instead of looking for, you know, more uh, 
cloud-based storage connectivity options. Instead, the customers have moved to a more cloud-based compute style of architecture, and I think that's really important to look at. Um, AWS allows customers to, to have a number of, of, of hybrid solutions, per se, that uh, even with cloud computing and server virtualization, if they were to implement, would be a significant capital investment that they'd have to make. And instead, AWS flips that to an OpEx model. So while the storage controller is still an, an, a CapEx investment, you know, customers appreciate the, the value of the data management uh, of NetApp, but they want to shift the rest of their infrastructure to leverage that. Ah, uh, yep. And and so, Luis, we, you and I were actually talking about this offline earlier. Tell me about some of the use cases that, that developed and even some of the kind of after the announcement or during the announcement last week, kind of new use cases that were bubbling to the top with, with using this architecture. Because this is it seems to be something you can do so many different things with, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have customers today that uh, are really interested in this for their non-production workloads. So in that in that regard... Uh, I think one of the things I always used to find is that they don't necessarily do things uh, at the full scale that they're able to do. So when you took it, take a look at, okay, they're doing backup, they're doing archive, they're doing disaster recovery, they may be doing some test dev. Um, I think with this type of a system, especially when married up with something like FlexClone from NetApp, they're able to further take advantage of that, but with a you know a very large abundance of resources. Um, and, and even to the point about CapEx and OpEx, you could blend the two. Uh, I think you could also have an OpEx model. We offer that to some customers today. So you, you really have a very flexible, agile platform, I think, as, as Val had stated it. Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing to add from a from an Amazon uh, perspective, as far as uh, you know, us being an Amazon partner and, and engaging our customers that are interested in the solution, I think one of the things that we found is that uh, you know, with with this type of with this type of solution, it really bridges the gap. Uh, for those enterprise customers, as Amazon's growing more and more into that space, uh, running into a lot of those NetApp environments, and without having to be overly disruptive and, and changing the way that they administer storage, this is a great bridge to that. And, and I think that that's pretty important, especially with uh, uh, you know obviously data on tap. Gartner says number one OS worldwide. You know, this is a very easy way to go adopt the cloud, uh, especially for a lot of those first movers, and, that, and that's definitely another use case that we see. Sure, sure. And and I just want to throw this out to make sure we're kind of like AWS 101, guys. Um, we've been saying, you know, an Amazon Direct Connect facility and utilizes Direct. What exactly is Amazon Direct Connect, first of all? Uh, well, I can take uh, Oh, okay. Go ahead and take that loose. <laughs> no worries. So... An Amazon Direct Connect facility is a uh, uh, is done usually with partners, so these, these co-location and telco type providers, uh, where AWS regions are somewhat close by within a certain proximity, and to, in order to have a, uh, uh, I guess basically what amounts to a dark fiber connection. So, uh, in these facilities, they have networking cages that allows customers to bring their network connection to the facility and uh, more or less have a logical connection back to Amazon. Uh, so with that said... It, you're, you're, you're directly plugging into the mothership. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. in, in the, I mean, literally, you know, part of the solution is that you'll get a letter of authorization where the, the guys will actually literally run, run, run the, uh, the, basically the network cabling from Amazon to your, to where your, where the cages, where your, 
um, where your NetApp storage is at, or that we're actually the the this, this the the network switches and routers in your cage where the NetApp storage is at, but that's sure, that's sure. exactly right. And, and and what they're doing to to kind of take this one step further, so that's what a Direct Connect facility is. What they're doing is they're hosting NetApp storage in the Direct Connect facility, so that your on premise NetApp um, hardware will replicate to their NetApp hardware. Correct. Yeah, you could either do uh, a standalone system that's in the co-location facility married with AWS Direct Connect, or like you said, you could have the network connection uh, back to the customer on-prem. But even with that, you don't always need the private circuit. You could always use third-party products like your riverbeds, your F5s uh, for the replication piece. It just kind of depends on what you need as far as requirements go, and and, folks like us will architect it. It's a very flexible architecture. So you can, you know, uh, partners like Luis's uh, firm can, you know, really architect out some some custom solutions based upon this. It isn't it, it, there, there, there's a lot of flexibility uh, built into this solution, which makes it very nice. But by the way, uh, if you do want to see what we're, what we're describing here, you can have a a visual aid and download one of our data sheets, which has a pretty good architecture on it. Yes, and actually, good you mentioned that. I actually have a link to that um, in the show notes as well. So there's absolutely, there's um, links to the announcement. Um, uh, Val, um, who's a good friend of ours as well, Val works uh, in the CTO office at NetApp, his blog announcement of the entire thing, which has seen a lot of traffic, um, Luis's data sheet. So there'll be a a good bit of information available in the show notes about this. Now, um, something else I was wondering too, uh, um, is this because really I think a lot of people when they when they think about use cases in their head, they're they're just thinking about okay I have on premise data that I want to put into AWS, um, but but isn't it also really uh, will work both ways? I mean this is a two way solution, correct? So from a technical perspective. NetApp replication can can go bi-directionally. So, uh, again, a technically or engineeringly engineering correct or specific answer would be yes. A customer could move their workload from AWS back to on-premise, and frankly, you know, there's likely some use cases where that may happen. For example, say a new application is being developed or some new research is being developed, and it's most cost-effective to store it. Uh, in the EC2 framework. And over time, the, the requirements of, of that system, the application, the data that it's accessing, need to come back on-premise. Uh, this solution would allow that. And, and there's a lot of comfort, I think, to customers knowing that their data is not locked and lost in a cloud. Um, but with that said, I think there's a number of use cases that once the customers start to adopt the NetApp private storage for AWS, we're not so sure that that data is going to come back on-site. So, for example... I think, you know, for example, earlier I spoke to uh, the replication constructs and customers doing snapshot-based backups and replicating those backups off-site. Uh, EC2 offers a significant or significantly simple means to provide uh, data analytics on customers' uh, data because backup to disk data, data that's been backed up to disk, I should say, it still remains in its native format with native metadata, et cetera. And so to be able to analyze your data warehouse, for lack of a better terms, natively as a byproduct from your snapshot backup and replication, and the enablement of that is the dynamic means to instantiate EC2 instances 
so that we can access, so that a customer can access this data. You know, something like that where you're adding on a new net value to the business that's really on an OpEx model, doesn't require any additional infrastructure, and, and leverages off of a function like backup and DR that you're going to, that you're going to um, implement anyways, I don't think services like that ever come out of the cloud. Yeah, I, I could see I could see one where we have um, one of I, I know one of our customers who, you know, they're looking at this very hard and, and you know where they replicate uh, data via uh, you know their NetApp Snap uh, NetApp uh, storage controllers via SnapMirror on their own data centers replicating to the Amazon Direct Connect uh, you know location and and then basically spinning up a whole bunch of EC2 crunch some data and then replicate it back and then and then moving data from their on-prem data center up into this uh, up into the private storage for AWS crunch the data and then move it back so it's it, it's a very in like Vaughn said it totally totally makes uh, turns a, a huge capital investment into more of an operational thing especially right, okay. when they're they're the you know this customer they're they're only doing this at specific times of the year you know you know for their for their for their you basically tape out is what they what they use it for i'll give you two uh, additional examples um that we had you know saw as far as uh, opportunities and use cases but you know you have a lot of data data center consolidation efforts going on you know folks that have 30 plus 100 plus data centers and and they really want to consolidate these workloads uh, in some cases, they may be looking at, uh, you know, having Direct Connect in, in place in order to kind of uh, stop some of the legacy growth uh, and sprawl and expand into the AWS uh, NetApp type of solution. Um, or they may even use it more for like a data center migration. Um, but to your point, you know, we, and from the Amazon side, we don't really find a lot of customers that use this as a temporary space. Uh, and then the last use case of that is, is kind of to that same point. Um Folks that are in the kind of the application development world, or, or frankly, just kind of app dev, test dev environments, where they figure, all right, well, let's use AWS as a testing environment. Uh, but once they kind of saw the benefits there, they usually end up staying. And in some cases, we had uh, customers that would use, you know, not necessarily non-production, but let's say DR site B in AWS and, and their customer on-prem, and then eventually flip it. Uh, and I think this type of solution really helps them get there. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, we also have had a number of conversations with customers who have quite diverse infrastructure. So, uh, for example, uh, with the, the current state of cloud computing, uh, customers are starting to diversify their hypervisor platforms based on uh, the desires of the application owners themselves. And so when you start having a multi-hypervisor solution, uh, considering disaster recovery, disaster recovery automation tools, et cetera, uh, you know, that can start to become a significant investment within an infrastructure. The NetApp private storage for AWS provides a means for disaster recovery, particularly multi-site, multi-hypervisor disaster recovery under the EC2 umbrella that, to be frank, is, is uh, you know, OPEX-driven, so it's almost like an insurance policy payment versus having to do a capital expenditure, uh, but also is, is powerful enough to be able to support a number of virtual infrastructures and with data, data NetApp's data management capabilities can actually help transform uh, data structures between different hypervisor types without having to actually um, recopy the data. So, Vaughn, let's not forget about uh, V-Series and ONTAP Edge uh, to kind of further expand, you know, those 
heterogeneous storage environments and kind of having them all under a data on tap umbrella. Uh, and like I said, I think this is one of those use cases that uh, helps folk, folks adopt, you know, elastic compute and uh, storage from from NetApp. Yeah, I, so I think I think the way you summarize this, Aaron, is is if your model is just to fire up some some servers um, through EC2, some virtual server instances to access some of your data, the likelihood of that that um, activity, you know, going on premise or going off premise, you know, that, that sounds more temporary. But if customers are building business solutions, whether it's data analytics, whether it's disaster recovery, right, those tend to have a, a, a long-standing tenure within a customer's ecosystem and really cements AWS as part of the extension of the customer infrastructure and operations. Yeah, and let, let, one more thing too, let's, you know, this is also a, a standalone solution. If you if you wanted to just have an isolated environment that was AWS with NetApp, there, you know, you don't necessarily always need to have a multi-architecture, but uh, it kind of depends on, you know, what the needs are and the requirements. Sure. And so let me ask you this, guys. Um, if you watch the AWS keynotes, um, they really, uh, a couple times in there, quite frankly, poo-pooed on the idea of on-premise um, resources. And how does this solution really fit into that message? You know, aren't they kind of in in some way acknowledging on-premise um, resources by this announcement? Or is this, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, t- speak on behalf of AWS, but like how do you think this fits in with some of the mess- messaging that came out of the keynotes last week? Luis, uh, do you want to take this? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's perfectly fine. Uh, so I think with, uh, you know, the words private cloud and public cloud, um, it's becoming a lot more blended or, or maybe not even blended, it's, it's kind of disappearing. Uh, I think resources, when we're talking about this kind of a arch- architecture or hybrid architecture, it's really a mix of on-premise and off-premise workloads. Uh, and then where are those workloads best, uh, where those workloads best reside? So when you take a look at the, the strength of AWS, um, you know, they have an amazing security story. And, you know, if you ever get to sit down with one of the security folks, and trust me, we had a lot of very high-level customers that, that would do this um, that are just amazed at, at what how they treat security. It, it's num- num- We call it, I think, uh, or we used to call it when I was there, uh, security is, is kind of like at level zero, right? Nothing happens without that. And, and if that were to you know not be a priority, then Amazon would kind of go out of business, right? But my point there is uh, they do things that are very unique, that are that's very, uh, you know, years ahead of industry. Um but with that said, there's definitely customers that have uh, requirements and uh, need for isolation. So I think this kind of solution provides you that uh, private storage or physical storage needs, right, that physical storage isolation. But then you have Direct Connect and you have a private circuit. You have a virtual private cloud from AWS, which gives you that network isolation wrapped around EC2. And then you can further enhance that by even having dedicated instances, which allow you to have isolation back on the physical physical host. So it's it's a very attractive solution to those folks that are uh, looking to meet certain requirements that uh, they haven't been able to, to fulfill before. Yeah, I, I would add to that that you know it's all about making the technology easy to adopt for the customer. And so, in a number of, of CIO conversations that I've had over the past year and a half or so, there's been a lot of concern around uh, where when one moves to the cloud, 
particularly a public cloud, you know, there's concerns around where's their data actually residing. Is there regulatory or legal reasons where they must know where their data resides? Is if the data trespasses, say, state government trespasses state lines, is that you know inbounds or out of bounds depending on the state and the laws of that that land? So. This solution for AWS allows customers to know where their data is and actually have control and have that comfort set while being able to adopt all these advantages of, of, of a hybrid cloud infrastructure. So I think from a consumption model, right, we, we help bridge some of those challenges that exist today and allow customers to move forward. Um, I think a second consideration is, again, on the concept of, of making it easy for customers to adopt, I think when you talk about moving production or primary workloads into a, a cloud, uh, a lot of a lot of executives and leaders hesitate. But when you say, I'm going to move your ancillary, your secondary types of data or workloads into the cloud, again, I think there's a, a greater comfort level there. And so, again, this NetApp public storage for AWS, I think, really eases the consumption model. Now, in time, I expect more production workloads to move to the cloud, but this is a real nice first step for the enterprise. So let me ask you this, and this is open question to everyone. Um, so uh, typical um, NetApp enterprise storage customer today is running a, typically a VMware infrastructure. And so if somebody is interested in this solution, like how do you get from point A to point B? Because those architectures, when you, when you kind of start to peel back the covers, and don't go into, I guess, you know, super low-level details, but at a very high level – how would you begin to bridge those architectures, and how, what are the first couple steps? What are the baby steps to potentially set yourself up from going from one environment to the other environment? Well, we found a four-block free space in the fiber channel packet where we insert a proprietary flag. <laughs> I, I kid, of course. <laughs> uh, so, so you're right, Aaron. Uh, Aaron uh, Part of NetApp's hypergrowth over the last six or six or seven years has been really fueled with the adoption of virtualization, which has been led by, uh, you know, undoubtedly led by VMware. Um, and while our customer bases are, are very diverse with their their virtualization technologies today, as I stated earlier, um, some of those technologies are a little bit more easy to to be compatible with AWS uh, in terms of the uh, virtual machine formats and the virtual storage formats. Um, VMware, though, is, is one where um, AWS does have a means for importing vir VMware virtual machines to run an AWS environment, uh, and there are some NetApp technologies that we have um, that Mark and I, Mark has helped me create a video for that we're going to put online that we're going to uh, be sharing shortly uh, that allows customers to actually flip between hypervisors without having to copy their data, basically leveraging the data management constructs inside of NetApp, we can modify some of the metadata so that the the flip between hypervisors is basically a virtual machine reboot. So, Vaughn, we actually have a customer. Uh, we actually met with the customer today, and this is exactly the scenario we're going through. Uh, so we probably need to follow up after this, but one of the things that we, we did explore were to have separate workloads that were running in this type of environment um, or... If uh, the, I think what kind of we're, we're probably heading down the path of is perhaps having to rearchitecture some of the VMware existing environment in order to be a bit more compatible. Um, but one more thing that uh, I should mention around Amazon Web Services is, you know, they do have capabilities like VM import today. So as AWS continues down the path of VMware compatibility or VMware onboarding into AWS, 
I, I think you'll start seeing this become easier and easier uh, as time goes on. Very cool, very cool. All right, guys, so we're about at that time where um, everyone kind of at home, they start tuning out. So, so any quick closing thoughts before we wrap this thing up? I think uh, the one thing I, I'd like for folks to understand, um, you know, th- these are two pretty big enterprise, in, or excuse me, two big industry cloud players here. Um, this is really should be viewed more of as a, a first stage in the evolution of, of this type of a solution. Uh, I think there's definitely a bigger picture here that's at play. And, uh, you know, the more that customers ask for these type of solutions or further integration, uh, I think really being at both companies, this is what they both do very well. And they will continue to evolve down this path uh, of tighter and tighter integration as the, their customers demand. Yeah, I agree. This NetApp, NetApp is known uh, throughout the technology industry for being innovative. Uh, I think the NetApp Private Storage for AWS is another uh, shining example of where we help move uh, the industry forward. Uh, I th- think as, you, we go th- as we close out this year and go into next year, I think you'll see a continued focus on NetApp uh, in a number of areas, uh, the enhancement of our clustered ONTAP storage uh, technology. Uh, I think the ex- continued expansion in terms of driving capabilities into the, the cloud market, whether it's private, hybrid, public, uh, I think these are things that, that should be expected, and I think it's safe for me to say that. I don't think I shared any uh, industry secrets there. Very cool. So, so guys, what I'll do is I'm going to, in the, in the show notes, um, put contacts uh, for everyone, where to get hold of everyone, where to find more information about the solution. So so please, everyone, take a look at the show notes for, for this episode. There's It's going to be uh, very heavy on the show notes this time around. Um, before we wrap up, I, I just wanted to give a quick thank you to everyone out there. Um, that has contributed to the Cloudcast Charity Project. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there's a race in Raleigh called the Krispy Kreme Challenge, and it benefits the North Carolina Children's Hospital, and we are raising money for it. We are at 35% of our $1,000 goal. So, And again, we are matching dollar for dollar uh, up to the first $1,000 for this. And, and so if you're fortunate enough to have healthy children, you just want to help a great cause, you want to uh, just give a little bit of appreciation for us, please, we would love if you would consider us. Um, the link uh, to that is on our webpage, thecloudcast.net, in the upper right-hand corner. And as always, kind of closing it out, uh, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. And you can certainly follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. And for that, um, Luis, Mark, and Vaughn, thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank Thank you. you.